And this passage in Isaiah 61 is something that has, it's a passage that shaped me and, and really challenged me all the way through my kind of Christian life. And it, it just fills us with a, a vision of transformation and of renewal um, as we look at our city, as we look at the places where we find ourselves uh, living and working every single day. Firstly, because it's a promise of transformation that comes through um, God's servant, Jesus, but then also through his body, through his people, um, empowered by God's spirit to make a difference uh, in the world. Um, people described as oaks of righteousness, okay? a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And that's how God looks at us. He wants us, that's his vision for us, that we each would be an oak of righteousness, a planting of God that makes a difference, that brings and points people to him. It says in verse four, it says that they will rebuild, they will restore the places long devastated, they will renew the ruined cities. It's a great city verse. There's another great city verse in uh, Jeremiah 29, seven, where the Old Testament prophet and writes to uh, the people of God who've been exiled, sent off to Babylon. And he says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And that whole vision of peace and prosperity is God's shalom, his wellness, his salvation, his healing, his wholeness for the whole of society. And then we read of Daniel and he and his friends, who are those very displaced people, find themselves in that other city, refugees, and they live out their lives in such dramatically different ways that it challenges the spiritual climate of where they find themselves. They're in the culture, but they live differently to the culture, seeking to transform um, everything that is around them, to rebuild, to restore, to renew. And these re-words in the Bible are clarify for us the Bible's position on evil and injustice and brokenness. And these are things that many of us experience firsthand in our lives. These are words that maybe we're trying to do in our own lives and we're seeking God to do. But whatever, we see it all around us. It may be a, a, a reword, if you like, is, is returning something to its original state in a positive way. So um, it could be a person a person's life that is being rebuilt. It can be a relationship. It can be a community. It can be a culture. Um, it can be a, an environment uh, even. And we read of great big rewords all the way through the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, because they undergird the good news that we have for our world, their gospel. We might think of uh, reconcile, a huge word in the New Testament. The possibility that even though we've gone our own way from God, that relationship can be reconciled. That relationship, we can be brought back into relationship with God our Father because of what Jesus did on the cross. There's the word redeem, um, which simply means to pay the ransom price for someone. Imagine being kidnapped and locked away and somebody pays the ransom price to set you free. Okay, that is a huge word in the gospel because Jesus has paid that price so that we can walk free and live full lives. And we might think of the word resurrection. Again, huge word in the New Testament where Jesus rises from death itself. He defeats death. And as we look at this, we realize that it's not only the, 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 the wrong in the world that's the problem, it's the wrong in here. And it starts here and Jesus changes that. He puts it right in here, but then he sends us out into the world so that we're no longer part of the problem, hopefully, but we now become part of the solution. And these words are not just words to give us assurance of forgiveness and of heaven, which are fantastic things in themselves, but they actually summarize the role of the church 
and the shape our lives in our everydays. So, for example, reconcile. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors of reconciliation, each one of us, helping people to find that relationship with God. Firstly, for themselves, and then out of that, extending forgiveness so they begin to see reconciliation in the other relationships around them. We think of the word redeem. We are, we're to help people, as Isaiah 61 says, to, to set the prisoners free. We're to let people know that the price has been paid so that they can walk free. They can find freedom from guilt. They can find freedom from those feelings of failure that they have. They can walk free from addiction, from sin in their lives. They've been rescued. You've been redeemed. And resurrection, you know, we are to live as new people. We're to live as resurrected people. The old me is gone and dead. Okay, the new me, the new resurrected me, is alive and well. And uh, I am now a Christ one, a Christian, and I'm not to walk in my old footsteps, but now I'm to walk in his footsteps because I am resurrected. And so it changes how we live our lives. We're rescued from something, but we're rescued for something. Okay, we are recreated in Christ Jesus for good works, for a reason. And so these rewords remind us that God's intention is very good. And although we live in a fallen world, in a broken world, and the, the horrors we see around it, it is a redeemed world, and we are to be agents of transformation in that. We are to be that planting that makes a difference, that displays God's splendor for others. And therefore, we don't stay distant and separate, but we get engaged and we get close and we depend on God um, to, to make a difference where we find ourselves. So the way we bring glory to God is by living for the good of this world. And so God invites you to be part of that, whoever you are, to be a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor in your school, in your college, in your workplace, in your community, in your family. That is a call upon our lives. Now we could look at our world and we could be overwhelmed with the problems. We could be overwhelmed with the, the evils we see around us rather than hopeful. So can we actually make a meaningful difference? Well, back in uh, the year, just the two, year 2000, um, Paddy Henderson and his wife Carol received a call from a mom in Salisbury saying, my children are going to bed tonight without any food. They are hungry. Can you do anything about it? And for him, that was his opportunity. And so Paddy investigated the data on poverty and deprivation in the UK, and he found that significant numbers of people faced uh, issues of hunger as a result of a sudden crisis in their life. So Paddy started the Salisbury Food Bank from his shed okay, and his garage. And that has now mushroomed to be over 1,200 food banks across the UK. Okay? We know it as the Trussell Trust. Um, we provide for it every third Sunday, even here, uh, for our local one. Providing emergency food for people in need, giving them additional support to cause some of the root issues uh, of poverty that sweep them into it. Giving people resilience so that they're less likely to need a food bank in the future. And it started by helping one mom from a shed, okay? Overwhelmed and paralyzed by the need or hopeful with just one opportunity. And uh, throughout history, we read of Christians not running away from the problems of the world, but running into them um, to help resolve the misery of many people. Um, I came across the, uh, the fire bearers of Ephesus in the first century AD. And uh, Ephesus was a, a, a pagan town 
It was dominated by the temple of Artemis, who was one of the ancient Greek fertility gods. And the priests at the temple kept a continual fire going. Um, and uh, they would, uh, it was part of their worship of the false idols. Uh, but obviously, fire is a basic necessity of life. You need it to keep warm. You need it to cook on. You need it to clean. Um, and so for the people, they had to go all the way to the temple to get their fire. They didn't, didn't have fire. And uh, if it ran out at home, it was like us having a power cut or, you know, the meter running out of top up or whatever. And apparently, as they went to the, the temple to get their hot coals uh, from, from the temple priests, they, of course, would require a payment, which was an offering to appease the gods, the pagan gods. And so the fire keepers of those ancient temples in Ephesus were the equivalent of our gas and electricity companies all rolled into one with a fairly unfavorable dual tariff kind of thing going on. They had a complete monopoly on the whole system. And uh, to get fire from another source, the priests thought was an affront to the gods. So it would risk their wrath, it would risk their anger, and all of the terrible consequences if these, these angry gods got, in, got hold of you. But archaeology unearthed how the Christians in Ephesus lived differently. When they noticed that a home was without fire, they would take hot coals to that family from their own fires in their own fireballs. And that simple act of love made a very powerful statement. Firstly, it provided um, life-saving fire to people who probably couldn't afford it. Secondly, it deprived the pagan temple of its much-needed financial income. And thirdly, it declared to the world that the Christians in Ephesus were not afraid of the pagan gods. Here, the Christian firebearers of Ephesus. And the question comes to every generation is what might that mean for us? What does it mean to be a firebearer? in our society today. And as far as we know, the first century Christians didn't get placards and protest outside the temple. They didn't try and get laws passed in their favor, but by simple acts of faithfulness, courage, and kindness, they began to see the, the Greek temple system diminish and the rise of Christendom uh, in over the coming centuries. And so the question we can unpack it, we've had four questions that we've looked at in the past. These are questions I came across, and I just think they're incredibly helpful to think through what transformation looks like in our context. And they're very helpful to keep revisiting um, to uh, inspire us and for us to think of our own situations. And the first is simply, what is good in our culture that we can promote, that we can uh, protect, and that we can celebrate? Because fundamentally, we believe that how God created the, wo the world was good. Um, and although the fall came and the entry of sin into the world, much of that goodness remains uh, in our world. Um, in 2016, just after the infamous Brexit vote, we'll remember, remember that one for a long time and continue to, there was this great sort of rise of anti-immigration animosity. Okay, there was a lot of cultural tensions arising uh, around the country and there was a number of incidents, particularly in Birmingham itself. And there was a humanist guy Adrian Bailey, who picked this up because he was married to a Hungarian wife, and she was picking up this anti-immigration animosity comments and things being said and posted uh, on, on social media and all the rest of it. So he, as the head of the British Humanist Society, approached the Bishop of Birmingham with an idea to encourage the city to be more neighborly. And uh, he came up and he said, you know, Jesus' words were, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's your guy. Uh, Bishop David. So could, could we do something around that? And so out of that came the banner campaign, Love Your Neighbor. This was posted across every school in Birmingham, every public building in Birmingham, every library in Birmingham. Um, the Birmingham Mail got behind it, and it then spread beyond. 
Okay, finding things that are good that we can promote, we can protect, we can celebrate. Just one example. The second question that we can ask ourselves is what is missing that we can creatively contribute? What is missing in people's lives? You know, looking at where things uh, are missing uh, and using our creativity, because God has made us incredibly creative people, to find ways to offer it to the world, because then God is glorified and the world is helped. So, for example, there's a ministry in Birmingham called Rivers of Gold, and uh, it seeks to equip and empower uh, refugees and asylum seekers. It helps them belong and find practical support. And one of the challenges they identified, the thing that they discovered was missing, was these people were living on £35 a week or thereabouts, and they had no way of getting across Birmingham, how to transport themselves across Birmingham. And uh, so they came up and launched, sorry, the bike project. Okay, I think it's down in Balsall Heath. And they collect secondhand bikes, fix them up, and they give the refugees uh, a bike along with bike maintenance training. Okay, so simple, so genius. What a difference it makes to people's lives. Again, uh, we look at our, our city as Christians and we realize there's so much missing spiritually in people's lives. You know, the, the faith, uh, the lack of faith, the lack of understanding of what the gospel uh, really is, the lack of truth that is there. You know, and so there are initiatives, for example, like the Try Praying Initiative, you know, a creative attempt to try and put that into people's thinking. You know, try praying for seven days and see what happens with the books, with the, with the apps, with the bus campaign. Um, next year, I'm, I'm involved with a, a setting up a, a large mission uh, across Birmingham, culminating in a big event at what was the NIA, Birmingham Arena, uh, in June. And there'll be an opportunity in February to, to be trained and equipped and inspired in just how to share our faith more effectively as God leads us. But we know as we look into our world that the thing that is missing in most people's lives is God. Okay, that is what is missing. And that's why we want to be praying uh, for people that they start looking, they start searching. That's why we, we gather to pray uh, each month. You know, praying that these rewords of God would become reality in our communities. Um, as we move on. The third question we can ask ourselves is, what is evil in our culture that we can help stop? We, we know God hates evil. We, we ourselves hate injustice. And throughout history, courageous Christians have worked to stop those things that deceive and those things that destroy. We think famously of the Wilberforces, the slave trade, and, and many that are involved in that. But we can also think about um, the evils that, that debt causes, in our culture and the differences that our money advice team make one person at a time. You know, whether it's keeping, helping somebody keep their home, whether it's pulling someone back from the brink of suicide, um, the difference that it makes and the steady trickle of people not only getting free from debt, but also finding faith in Jesus as well. We might think about the evils of trafficking and uh, the modern day slavery. And there's a young guy um, who, uh, set up a, a project in Birmingham, a guy called Ben Cooley, and he got some ex-police officers together and started a whole thing called Hope for Justice. Um, and as I say, there's a team in Birmingham working, and in fact, the, the people now go to them before they go to the police uh, about issues uh, to do with that. They are the force, first port of call, making a difference. Our, our own Riverside Performing Arts Theatre Company, you know, um, who are going into schools to help young people tackle issues. You know, the evils of self-harm, of sexting, of internet safety. 
Now, what is evil in our society that we can help stop? And then the fourth question we can ask is, what is broken? What is broken that we can help restore? You know, it might be relationships all around us that are often broken. You know, our parenting course can help build confidence for parents. Um, it can, can help build up family resi- resilience. A marriage course can help uh, people who are struggling in, in that relationship or to strengthen them so that they don't struggle in it. Um, Sutton Baptist Church run a divorce recovery workshop um, for people whose, whose lives are broken by divorce um, and helping them to be supported and to rebuild their lives in that context. It may be that an offer comes to step into a community relation breakdown. And uh, things like that take courage. It might be something at work even. And many of you are in jobs where you're seeking to bring about these things every day. You know, in the health service, in education, in charities, in, you know, job creating businesses, all sorts of environments. And you can apply those four questions to where you find yourself. Okay, you can turn these four questions into prayers for where you find yourself. What is good, Lord? What is missing? What is evil? What is broken here? And Lord, lead me. How can I be your hands? How can I be your feet? How can I be your voice that makes a difference in this place? Because there is no sector of society that is a no-go area for God. Wherever we find ourselves, we're to stay up close and engage prayerfully and courageously rather than separate and distant. That's how we can be fire bearers. And uh, I very briefly want to just run through five uh, rhythms, if you like, or five growth areas of our lives that I think will help us to just do this naturally uh, in our lives. And uh, the first is simply generosity. I think if we can grow in generosity um, with generous hearts, with generous words to people to affirm, to encourage, to bless, you know, generous in our thoughtful giving, generous in practical kindness, We know that God blesses out of his utter generosity. And how can we grow and reflect that more? You know, if we grow in this, we will make a difference. The second is is simply hospitality, to be hospitable. Life is about people. You know, but this city is not about buildings on a skyline. It's about communities of people. It's uh, young people, it's kids, it's families, it's it's single people, it's broken people, it's it's lonely people, it's, it's people. And, uh, Hospitality is just simply eating with people. It's having a coffee with people. It's, it's having a beer with people. It's, it's being hospitable over lunch, connecting with people, listening to people, and build hospitality into your life. The third uh, rhythm really is just to be spirit-led. You know, God has called you for something, some very specific things, and they work themselves out every single day, every single week. And therefore, the, the prayer is just simply to to be listening to God's leading. You know, who do you want me to bless, Lord? How how do you want me to bless them? Um, Open my eyes to the opportunities that are around me. Let me see them like you see them. You know, how can I live in a way that that provokes some curiosity uh, about this God so I can display something of his splendor? And a simple time each day to just say, I'm I'm yours, Lord. Uh, Lead me today. The fourth is to be Christ-like. You know, how to live distinctively as a Christian. Um, and I think one thing we can do is to just re-immerse ourselves in the Gospels, in the words of Jesus, and the ways of Jesus. You know, so often we need re-energizing in life. 
But actually, often we need re-Jesusing in life. We just need to get back to what Jesus was about. Um, and you may struggle to read the Bible every day. Um, I came across a group recently who read just six verses of the Bible. They take a gospel, John's gospel, read six verses, and they circle the verbs, the action words, right? And then they spend the rest of the day just reflecting on how can I live some of that out? How can I do some of that in my life? What, what are you saying to me, God? Just with that, and what a difference that makes. Um, because it's Jesus' words, it's Jesus' ways, and we start to live in Christ-like ways. And then fifthly and lastly, um, to live sent lives, to, to be continually reminding ourselves that we are being propelled out into an adventure every single day as an agent of transformation. Um, and every day to reflect on that and think back to what opportunities did I have today? Um, that Were they God-given opportunities? Did I take them? Did I not take them? What could I have done with them? Just to so we become more familiar with how we are sent. And, uh, and so that question you started with at the beginning, you know, you've all had opportunities to bring some goodness to someone, to bring something of God to someone. And just to reflect on those helps us to realize we are sent, uh, we are planted uh, in places. And so I believe if we continue building each of these five things, these growth points in our lives, we won't fail to be and do all that God wants us to do. It's very simple. And we will find ourselves rebuilding and restoring and renewing and reconciling and redeeming and living resurrected lives for the display of his splendor. So could we bring the change our city needs, which is the topic of today? I think the secret is to start small and with God. The real question isn't whether we can in fact change our city or our world, but it's really how will we respond to the next opportunity? Okay, will we see it the way God sees it? Will we act and look to God? Will we do whatever we do? Will we do it well and for his honor? Will it be generous, hospitable, spirit-led, Christ-like, knowing that we're sent by God? There was a top leader in the U.S. Marines, and uh, he gives a, a motivational speech. And one of the things he says is, if you want to change the world, start by cleaning your room. And um, there's, a, there's an element of truth to that, okay? Just start with very small. Start with the, the next and move from there. Small steps can start today making small differences with great love every day.